I was never going to give up. There was just a um, an intuition that just kept telling me to go. Um, now I think that was, you know, crazy, kind of crazy voice in my head telling me just keep going, just keep going. And it was like being on a treadmill and getting punched and knocked out, and then you just stand up again. Um, I think, I, you know, I allowed myself to grieve every time it didn't happen, but I only allowed that for a day, and then I just got up and kept going. Hi, I'm Hayley. And I'm Fiona. And welcome, welcome to What the IVF. Uh, today we've got a really special guest for chatting to Karen Platt. And Karen is a 46-year-old Sydney woman who's been through, wait for it, 19 rounds, 19 rounds rounds of fertility treatment over three and a half years and she now has a beautiful three-year-old, nearly four-year-old daughter with her partner Lorraine. Uh, Karen, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you. So firstly, before we get into the whole fertility journey, tell us a little bit about yourself and and who you are. Sure, sure. Um, I think you've given an intro in terms of my age. Uh, I grew up in, <laughs> I, I grew up, you know, I'm an old one. Uh, I grew up on, on Sydney's northern beaches, um, you know, the average uh, Australian upbringing. But I think the one thing relevant to, to this journey was that I always thought I was going to be a mum and I was had the opportunity to be surrounded by loads of kids and get involved with neighbours and, and friends' kids. Um, I went to university and, and did my degree, but um, I suppose in my thirties I did settle down for quite a long time with a lovely man, um, and then in my thirties I decided to add women to that uh, to that journey. And at, at about thirty four, <laughs> um, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I say add to, not uh, exclusive, but um, I, I met a lovely woman, and uh, she showed me. I suppose what it could be like in terms of being in a relationship with uh, with a woman, but unfortunately, I didn't meet uh, someone that was going to settle down and, and have a family with me. So at about thirty seven, I decided to embark upon the IVF journey on my own. That's incredible. Um, how did your just on that? How did your friends and family react? Because I know Fiona, you that's sort of very similar to it was my about story. Similar to your story, <laughs> but how did, how did your react friend, to the women or react to the IVF? No, oh, no, we know no, the reaction I, to women. <laughs> no, the, I I made the decision when I was yeah thirty six, thirty seven to to go it alone, like to have a baby yeah. on my just own, and then we met. just before I met you, Haley. Yes. Yeah. So how did how did your family look? I I think. My family were, were pretty warmed up to the idea given that I had a couple of really good friends that um, had commenced that journey and if not had had children on their own. And one of my closest friends, Jackie, had tried IVF for about four years and invited me to be a bit of a support person through her journey and I had the pleasure of being at the birth of her son. Um, oh. and, and I think my family got to know uh, I suppose the experience that uh, Jackie had and saw the joy that that brought and, and uh, look, there was immense family support um, on my journey, but I knew that it was really tough to do on your own and, and they were all really happy to lean in. My sister's got three young boys and she's younger than me, but she had three by the time I, I started and then um, I'd already had plenty of time spent with uh, with my three nephews and she was quite happy to to help me in any way that I could as well. So, look, I didn't face um, any barriers to having a child on my own and I, I recall when I had to go through counselling at IDF, they asked me how 
my family would feel or how I was going to be raising uh, an IVF and a donor um, child amongst my family and friends. But if I look around, the families um, that my friends have created are, are all sorts of families. You know, there's single parents, there's same-sex families, there's families that, you know, have had the conventional opportunity to have a couple of kids, but there's also families that have had donor um, children, either through sperm or um, egg donors. So I don't think it was as big a deal for my family and my friends. I was just another friend, you know, joining in, wanting yeah. to create a family. And at what point did you you meet Lorraine when you had, you start, you had started trying? And I had met- started. I, I met her a week after I had my first insemination. No way. Wow. That is yes. just, that's wild. So you, you've started this journey thinking you're going to do it on your I own. I had started it on my own and I think because I had started it and I uh, was not in the frame of mind to meet anyone, of course, that happens. That's always but, the way. Yeah. Yeah. Our, at the start of our relationship, you know, I was saying, well, I'm doing this and I'm really focused on this. And she was saying, well, I don't want a relationship anyway. And I think it just put um, a couple of barriers in the way to doing the traditional lesbian thing and racing um, ahead. And <laughs> the <zero laughs> like you guys did. Yep, yeah, was us, yep. <laughs> which was not us. We're the total opposite. Um, mm. And what it allowed us to do is get to know each other. And whilst we did start um, seeing each other, it was still very much something I was doing. Um, and there was, there came a time that Lorraine caught up, but as the uh, IVF counsellor said to us, Karen was on a bullet train and Lorraine needed to um, take a time to decide whether or not she was going to jump on that bullet train. And there's never any pressure, but it was quite a natural thing for us over probably an 18-month period to, to welcome her on that. And that meant that we kind of had to reset our journey with, um, with the clinic because you have to go through different protocols and... So did you have um, to and go Lorraine, through counselling again? Yeah, we did um, so because you either sign up as a single person or you sign up as, oh, a, as a couple. Yeah, right. um, and it wasn't so much about counselling about us and our relationship. It was very much around the procedure and what you have ahead of you and understanding all the legalities. And I mean, yeah. you know, it was a pretty big deal to sign over my embryos to my new partner. Yeah, um, So just make <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right, before we could get married. Yeah. Um, so it was it was something that the counselling wasn't so much about the emotional side, but it was about the procedural side, making sure that we were very clear on, on each of the steps and even down to, you know, if I was to pass away, what she would do with my embryos. So yeah. some pretty tough conversations up yeah. front. But um, Did you have to alter any of your, your plans that you had? Because you obviously started the journey as, you know, the intention to be a single parent. Did you have to then... Did you alter any of your your plans going forward to meet sort of Lorraine's um, does that like you know wants in the journey at all? No, no, I think we're pretty aligned. Um, I'd chosen to go with an anonymous donor, and and that was something that Lorraine was also committed to. And I think if we had to go with a, if I was going with a known donor, that would have added a little more complexity in that there would be a third person involved. But um, I mean, I handed over responsibility to her and my friends and my mum to pick donors in the end because we went for so long. But, you know, that was something that Lorraine was quite involved in and, and um, you know, wanted to be a part of that part of the journey, not just the emotional side, but the selecting, you know, the genetics of our, our future child. Um, so, no, it was, it was all, it's all very, um, very aligned together. When you, just going back to when you, when you started, 
you mm. did, and you mentioned you went with a known donor. Has that known donor stayed did, the, through the whole time, or it's, it's anonymous just, donor? Sorry, anonymous. No, 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 anonymous. it's anonymous. Yeah. yeah. So I've I've actually so the first three rounds was IUI, so I used different donors each time, right. um, and then I think I had about seven collections. So I think I've used about ten different donors. Wow. How does how does that work with – is that overseas donors or is that Australian-based? Our clinic, um, the, what, they partner with a sperm donation bank called Zytex, which is an American um, bank, and they basically import and freeze locally a selection of um, sperm donation and then you get the choice based on your timing. They'll give you a list of maybe about 30 options with some codes and you can join Zytex and go on their website to um, download all sorts of information about the donor, so photos of uh, the donor as a child, photos as an adult, um, oh, full wow. health history of them and their, their families as well as NSA. And for us, that was a really big part of choosing the clinic we went with. We thought that, that was quite amazing. And look, the other added benefit is there was no um, no wait period for, for access to that um, donation as well. So oh, wow, that's really um, good. there was no delay. Yeah, yeah it's a great service. Um, and, and through Zytex now, you know, uh, they've also got the option of connecting with any any siblings around the world as well, which we have done recently. That's incredible. Um, so that was, that was a really big part of our decision to go with the clinic we did because of the partnership with Zytex and we weren't relying on a very low count of local donors. After your, your first three IUIs, um, yeah. You know, you, did you make the decision to go straight to IVF, or was that something your fertility specialist decided? And and how was your body tracking at that point? Well, I wasn't getting any feedback on the IUI, so those three rounds didn't work. But I think I felt like the universe was giving Lorraine and I time to get to know each other as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and then it was it was always try IUI three times yep. because um, I hadn't tried to conceive. Um, previously, so there was no known fertility issue at that, at that point, um, and then it was straight into IVF. And I always had an expectation I'd be going there because the friends that had been through the process went through IUI and then went straight into IVF and had done a number of rounds. So um, for me, I always had that in my mind that it was not going to be quick and easy, but it was just really getting on the treadmill and going straight into IVF. And I think that first collection I think I got like 21 eggs or something I'm like oh, you can't like this is not going to be too hard but you know three years later wow. uh, it was a pretty grueling process so you're getting so you're collecting like you said 21 eggs that's that's a lot so you 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 know your your side of things is is great so then what are what were the doctors saying when you were collecting the embryos what from there they they just weren't sticking is that sort of yeah they just weren't sticking um I remember the doctor telling me that 30 percent of infertility is related to the female 30 percent is related to the male 30 percent is related to the combination of and 10 percent is just unexplained and she put me in that unexplained bucket I mean, I was referred after quite some time to go and have some exploratory work, um, make sure I didn't have any fibroids, and I, I did have that um, done and nothing presented as So you didn't have any endometriosis? Why. Or? No. Mm. I had one fibroid, but um, they weren't saying that that was creating any issues. Um, and it was just a matter of 
you know, time. The, the other comparison, I suppose, to draw on other people's IVF journey is that my clinic transfers embryos at three days. So um, they and, – and doesn't test. So we were putting in what may not have been lasting the five days that other clinics would put in. So the chances were, you know, very much like a natural conception, which I think is about 11% a cycle. So it wasn't high ratios. Um, and I wasn't getting a lot of feedback and occasionally they would stick but not for very long. So the embryo just wasn't viable. And you, so they, they didn't test and they put it in at three days. Is that something yeah. that you were comfortable with or because they obviously that was their process and they weren't going to change that I imagine or was there options? Yeah, look, I, um, it's, a, it's a really good question, Hayley, because, you know, when you're in this process you really question every decision, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and you doubt yourself. But I had watched friends of mine go through the process and question, should I be doing five days? Should I be doing testing? Should I try this new drug? Should I do that drug? And I found it caused people that I watched a lot of anxiety through the process. And and at the beginning of my journey, I just said to Lorraine, I really need to pick one doctor and stick with one doctor and their advice um, for my own mental health. Mm. Um, And I was just to be led by Dr. Clark. And I just felt like I really believed in her. And whatever she told me was the right thing to do. And her method, um, I was going to follow. I know that's slightly different to to other people's, but there was no reason why I felt she couldn't get me pregnant. So I saw people in that clinic every day getting, you know, having success. So I figured, you know, at at some point it would be my opportunity. But, you know, needless to say, 19 rounds was quite a grueling process and I had to dig pretty deep. You, um, yeah, 19 rounds is, I mean, we hear of people going through six and they're like, I don't understand how people keep going. I guess that's a question for you, you know, when you got to, uh, how did you keep going through this process, you know, mentally, emotionally, like was physically? There, was there any point where you thought to yourself, I'm, I'm going to give myself a set amount of rounds and then that's it? Or you just thought you just no. keep going? I know every, every journey is different for everyone, right? But I just, I was never going to give up. It's a really hard question because there was just a um, an intuition that just kept telling me to go. Um, now, I think that was, you know, crazy, some crazy voice in my head telling me just keep going, just keep going. And it was like being on a treadmill and getting punched and knocked out and then you just stand up again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I, you know, I allowed myself to grieve every time it didn't happen but I only allowed that for a day and then I just got up and kept going. I mean, there were some external factors that made it really hard. You know, I got a bigger and bigger job. I kept getting promoted. I had to travel a long distance to my clinic. Um, I had big responsibilities at work um, and, and all of these things kind of compounded, you know, the, the pressure every month. But I was in a position where I was earning a reasonable amount of money that allowed me to continually finance it and it was just something that I was not going to give up on. I couldn't imagine my life without being a mum. I think that's what kept me going, but there was also something intuitive that just kept me, you know, ticking on. Um, I mean, there were times where people told me to stop, but never my doctor. Um, So I just kept going. Did you, when you were doing your rounds, did you ever, did you do them back to back or did you have kind of time off in between? There were times where I would just keep going. It was I felt like I was in in a boxing ring and I just had wow. to stand up and keep going. But then there were times where I gave my body a rest when, you know, I was really exhausted. Yeah. Um, I reacted to the 
um, pregnancy hormone injections with quite a lot of nausea. And I think that was really draining. So I was constantly had morning sickness. Um, and so I think that wore me down more than the loss um, because being constantly nauseous for a couple of weeks and then getting a period and being devastated, you know, and then doing it all over again two weeks later is pretty tough. But um, I think, you know, I had a, I had a trip to Bali planned and I thought, okay, I'll give, my, I'll give myself this month off. Um, we had a trip to Europe um, after I actually miscarried twins and, and that couldn't have come at a better time because I really needed to give my body a break. But otherwise, it was back to back. I was like, I'm getting older um, and the pressure is on. I just, wow. you know, I don't want to be 45 and keep doing this. But um, I just felt time pressure on my back and just kept going. And how, how was Lorraine through through this? As Was, was she just your, your pillar of support through all of it? Yeah, definitely. Look, it was, we were both going through it. I know I was physically going through it, but we were both emotionally going through that roller coaster. And Absolutely. Ray's a little bit older than me and she wasn't imagining that she was going to be a mother. And then she had this dream presented and then taken away and presented and taken away um, for, for many years. And at times, you know, she grieved not having a child herself earlier in, in her life and then I put it back on the table. So it was, you know, for her it was really hard. Um, to, for me to continually lose but at the same time she was really struggling watching me go through it and keep putting myself through it um, but she was there every step of the way you know every appointment she didn't have to give me the needle so I was a bit tougher than Fiona um, <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> well, it's really not that bad. Not really not, thank not that you. Bad. <laughs> no, um, we're going to wait and see when it's your turn, dear, and we'll oh, see right. if you can do it to yourself. <laughs> okay, all right, fine. I'd, I'd practice on my friends a few times, so I, 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 I'm actually much better doing it to myself than I am to someone else. Oh, I think I'm going to be – I'm useless when it comes to needles, so I think I'm going to be just as bad as Fiona, to be honest. I say this like I'm going to be some, you know, super strong, but I feel like I'm I'm going to fail. I feel like, yeah, the other day she had to take some fine. herbs for her that my acupuncturist gave her for her wrist. Yeah. And the complaints and the moans. It was and one, I, lot of herbs. one lot of herbs. I was like, you're was not kidding. Coping. I had to take herbs for months, morning and night and just oh. did it. Oh, yeah. dear. Did you do anything like that? Did you see acupuncture? Yeah, I did, yep. I did all of that. Um, I was seeing acupuncturists every week. Um, I actually had an amazing acupuncturist that kept telling me what was going to happen in my, in my cycle. It was quite psychic um, and he was always right. Whether oh, wow. He, he told me I was going to conceive twins when I did. He told me what gender they were. He kept, he just said he felt my energies. And it's really funny because I did, traditionally don't believe in that sort of stuff, but I did put faith in it. And I suppose I was probably looking for the optimism as well. Yeah. Um, and I just found that, you know, half an hour lying down, having acupuncture was a really good way of centering myself. I did the herbs, they were revolting. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I saw a naturopath and they did toxicity tests. They cut my hair and sent it off to the US to see if I was storing any toxins and that came back quite positive. I gave, she made me give up caffeine. Um, That's tough. Which, That's tough. Yeah, it was really tough actually and I, I haven't gone back. I still love a decaf. I gave up my wine of course but um, I, I look, uh, the naturopath theory was that I just didn't have 
any energy left in my system, in my cells, and that by the time my embryos were trying to grow, there wasn't a, a lot left. So anything I could do to energize myself. So that that involved the acupuncture as well as the herbs, as well as giving up caffeine. But I also got a coach from a work perspective so that I could get my head in the right game and, and not exhaust myself from a work perspective oh, that's um, I because I found that, I was throwing I... myself into work. Yeah, you're juggling such a you're juggling a, a you know your job, your promotions, as well as this emotional roller coaster outside of work. You know did, how yeah. so this coach you you mentioned how what kind of help were they giving you? Look, she just helped me. I had a really big team about sixty odd people at the time, and I just felt this responsibility to help everyone. And what she taught me was some techniques to coach that were faster than the hour I was probably spending with someone that was having a challenge. Um, it was also giving myself permission not to be on all the time. I, I mean, I was a, I had a, a role on the senior leadership team and everyone else was male and probably not going through what I was going through. I'm sure they had all sorts of other challenges. But by the time I got to work, I had already been from home to her school, you know, which is a 45-minute drive to North Ride, which is another hour in the car. Um, and I've had an internal ultrasound, a blood test and, you know, plans for the next day, mm. um, throw it in there. And I just had to give myself permission not to be, you know, perfect and yeah. on all the time. So I would um, try and finish my work at work and not bring it home, which sometimes meant, you know, I'm leaving her own to eat dinner on her own. But she was very supportive. Um, it might mean that I'm doing a late night so I don't have to work a weekend. But I was just really just, giving myself permission to look after myself. I meditated a lot. I haven't done that since I was pregnant um, or trying to conceive, but I found an IVF meditation that really worked for me. And What do you, what was that kind of – was it an app or was it sort of something you went to? Yeah, it was an app, it was an app and it had three or four different meditations. It was all about fertility treatment and it was specifically around IVF. So they talk about you just had eggs taken you know how do you meditate on that you've just had your embryo transferred um meditating on you know giving giving that embryo every fighting chance uh, so i tried everything um there was no magic uh bullet i think i, I also had a room full of fertility dolls that people gave me we tried everything <laughs> a fertility what's a fertility doll <laughs> I'm, I'm curious what is a fertility doll <laughs> oh look i think it's all superstitious but um a friend of mine, Jackie, had been given by a very close friend of hers who had passed a African fertility doll and she has loaned that out to lots of people that have eventually got pregnant and it's this hideous, maybe three or four foot uh, African doll that we all call penis head um, and it has to be in the bedroom in which you sleep and it stares what? at you. How do you sleep with it's, that watching you? It's like uh, Chucky. That would be terrifying. You do anything. Oh, you do yeah, anything. You do. You do. True. You're That's so right. You're, yeah, you do. You do anything. Absolutely. And, yeah, you've done You've done a lot and it's, it's so impressive. I mean, you know, 19 rounds and obviously, you know, I've, I've read through some of the stuff you told me, but and you don't have to address this if you don't want to. But you got to that uh, the seventeenth or eighteenth round when yeah. when you did lose your twins. I guess you know that's such a traumatic experience. And and how how did you get yourself through that? 
that that one was really different. I mean, I'd had other pregnancies that were chemical pregnancies, so by the time your period's kind of due, you lose it. You know, it's attached, but you lose it, and it's traumatic in itself because your body has to go through such hell to um, to get to the other side. But when I'd seen two heartbeats, you know, I suddenly thought, this is it. Um, and I had chosen to transfer a couple of embryos, and I was, you know, I was really happy and excited to be having twins um intuitively I felt they were boys and um unfortunately I can't tell you the gender of both of them but I just had this I don't know intuition again but um I don't think we were ever very optimistic um because at the seven week heartbeat we were told that one of them had a weak heartbeat and it was just a waiting game to see if I miscarried that one and that was a great loss and then by 10 weeks we'd lost both um and, you know, any woman that knows, has been through miscarriage, knows that it's one of the hardest things to, to deal with in life and you do it in silence. And um, I, I think that I just, you know, that was my point where I just wanted to chuck all my toys out of the sandpit um, and say, life's not fair, why me, why, why have I gone through all of this to conceive these two children and then lose them? But I think that process of healing got me ready for, for the one that was meant to come. And I met amazing people through that journey. I, I spent a week up in the Golden Door doing a meditation and I met a really special woman that helped me reframe all of my emotions around that and just get strong again and keep going. It's so incredible. I, the other thing, I think the other thing, and anyone that's done it long enough will understand that it's not just you having emotions, your family and friends that are on the sidelines do as well and I think it was at that point that I realised I just couldn't take on anyone else's grief Yeah, and I think I just started blocking that out like it was really hard to watch my mum get upset and my sister and you know my dad and my friends and you know they were all grieving as well for us and with us but yeah. um, I just couldn't cope with that on top of my own grief and I think I just hardened up a little bit and you know got back in that boxing ring I got knocked out and I'm ready to go again you, you certainly got back in that boxing ring so many times it's it's incredible do you when you mentioned that your your family and friends were grieving with you did and, and you sort of blocked it out did you just stop was there any at any point that you just thought guys I need I need some space I'm gonna do this yes I had to I said that in an emotive way to my mum one day just I can't talk about it anymore I can't take on your emotions and that's certainly not what was intended but I just you know I felt like I was failing not just you know my own body but everyone around me and everyone had these dreams and I know that it was hard and, and you know for Lorraine as well she was going through it as well but I think they all would have been okay with me stopping because they couldn't see me go through it anymore but at the same time you know I'm Sure, they were pretty optimistic about me keep going because they all wanted this special child in the world. I can really relate to um, that. It's funny how mm. it's. I mean, I don't think there was ever any intent of any anyone I know, any family or friends, or putting any pressure on me to to fall. But it's, I guess, the yeah, I I, it's something that I guess I was feeling like external pressure as well, and and yeah, yeah, you're putting so much pressure on yourself as well. And the longer I went on, the more I felt that too. Um, because I think those early days, everyone's really optimistic and then it just drags on and on and on. And look, I was open about it at work. 
Yeah. Um, so I had to tell people when I got my period, which is not your standard work conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but there were there were a few people that I trusted in my workplace. You know, my current business partner in in, um, in my new business was one of my colleagues back then, and she was an incredible support and would cover for me. And I think that really helped. You know, I could pick up the phone and say, "Can you cover off this project or this team or this meeting for me?" Because I'm going for a procedure and she'd been through it too. So there was a really good understanding. And look, on reflection, there was just such a uh, a massive village of supporters that you want to please everyone. You want it to result in, in something. And there's only one thing failing and it's, you know, it's your own body. So mm. it is a lot of pressure. Um, and I think it got to that point where I just, I couldn't cope with it. I just had to block it out. And it probably wasn't very healthy emotionally, but I just, had to get a bit staunch and kept focusing and I might have withdrawn a little bit and not told everyone every little detail for that last couple of rounds. But um, once we got there, we certainly told everyone. You um, you mentioned your, your body sort of <coughs> felt ready, almost got prepared for the, what was going now your 19th and, and final round because you fell pregnant with who is now your beautiful daughter. What, um, what was it about that, that round that you felt like had changed or your body had changed? Yeah, was there, was there anything that was done differently that you think might have helped? I think I mentioned to you guys earlier that I started reading a little bit about vulnerability and I think it's something that my business coach as well as you know the woman I met at Golden Door talked a little bit about vulnerability and accepting vulnerability and I pride myself on being really strong and I don't think I've ever allowed myself to be really vulnerable. And I think for me, mentally, that's what switched. I just thought, okay, all right, you're making it tough, whoever you are out there. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go along with you. You know, I'm vulnerable. I'm hurting. Um, I'm putting my body through hell. But I'm I'm here. I'm going to do this. So for me, mentally, I was, and, and look, on a practical side, I'd also had to have a DNC after losing the twins, which, when they scrape the uterus, apparently has a correlation to, to you know, uh, it being easier for you to fall pregnant. Um, and I think my fertility doctor used a trial back then. It was a, a while ago now, but it was a new solution to put the embryo in in the, in the Petri dish. So they're the only real changes. But, I mean, everyone that's going through it is looking for what can I do, what can I do? And, and yeah. I, I don't think there's any magic um, but I think the one thing that, um, you know, a lot of people uh, say, you know, we have a common feeling that you just know when you know. Yeah. And I knew that was the one. It wasn't my last. I had one after Ella because oh. I had one more embryo. Yeah. Um, so I actually conceived Ella on my 18th and I had one or two embryos left. And I would like the sibling for her, but getting a bit on in age. Yeah. Um, and I did transfer it pretty soon after I stopped breastfeeding because I just wanted to see. If I, I didn't hold hope because how long it had taken me to get there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was, that was I, close, I was happy to close the book at that point. I think the one thing to come out of, you know, our experience and, and listening to the experiences from others that we've heard is that there is – unfortunately no magic trick there mm. and so the point of all these conversations is to give people the hope that others out there are doing this journey you know that and they're not alone they're not alone so that you yeah. know whilst we all desperately want that 
that magic trick, that magic solution that's going to help us fall pregnant, then, I mean, you know, maybe one day there is, but right now there's not. And so the the best thing is to know, you know, it's like, you know, strength and safety in numbers. We're all sort of going through this and, you know, to hear your journey, you know, today is just, you know, it's been incredible listening to your story and you now have a beautiful Beautiful daughter. daughter. Can you tell us a little bit about her, a little bit what she's up to, how old she is and how she's enjoying life? Oh, she definitely has taken life by its horns. Um, <laughs> I think I think I paid my dues in terms of trying to get pregnant, and I got quite an easy child that fed and slept really well, and is quite chilled out child. Um, she has two parents that dote over, and she gets everything she wants. So she's a pretty happy little <laughs> That's one. That's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, look, she's she's really outgoing, um, very confident, but also. Um, quite a chilled child and knowing what I know about the donor I think she's inherited some of his very positive traits certainly got his torso she's nice and tall and has his little athletic body um, and his hair but um, she's also got a lot of my family's uh, eye colour and um, I think she's she's dialed up the extroversion on on me Um, (laughs) and and she says she got a curl from uh, Mummy Lorraine so Oh, yeah, cute. she's that's a beautiful sweet. little one. She's very special to us, of course. Um, she was well worth it. One conversation that we're obviously going to have with at some point with our child is, you know, the the conversation around the donor. Is that something that you have had with her at this point yet, or is that down the track? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, look, we, the first year we were just, you know, completely focused on her, and then we got to a point. Just before her first birthday, we were quite happy to connect with other siblings. And I think there was an element of curiosity there um, for us at the beginning. And, and we were contacted by a, um, a wonderful lady in the UK that we've got to know over Zoom and Facebook um, that has a, a son that's a little bit older. Um, and she set up, you know, that was all through Zytex. It's all managed really well. Um, and then we... Um, we started connecting with, with lots of families around the world and, and we're so lucky to have a couple local. So we have spent time with her donor siblings um, mm. locally and, and, in fact, during COVID, I set up a Zoom call with about eight, eight or ten mums around the world, which was very bizarre. That's, that's um, incredible. Wow. So how many yeah, siblings are there all up? There's um, 42 in total, but unfortunately one passed away um, last year. Oh, so there is. 40, she has 40 um, donor siblings and I think we've connected to about 20 of them now. Um, we've got a Facebook group, we share photos. Some are very active, some some not, not so much, but there's um, twin girl and boy in Sydney that we, we spend quite a bit of time with and that's really beautiful. So um, she's getting to the age where she knows she doesn't have a dad. Um, we talk about our family doesn't have a dad. Um, she goes to kindy with lots of kids that have dads, so she knows that she doesn't have one, but she doesn't correlate that yet to the fact she's got a donor, um, which she knows she does and she's seen photos. Um, she knows she's got donor siblings and they're kind of like brothers and sisters, but they don't live with us. But she's not yet comprehending, uh, of course, the biology side of it. Yeah. Um, but we talk very openly. We've read all the books that have been provided around the conversations to have and there's not a lot of research in this space, so they take adoption research as a guiding principle um, and the, the most recent suggestions are that you talk about it from birth so that there's never 
a moment that they didn't know. Um, so we have always talked about the donor. Um, and unfortunately, he passed away tragically last year. Um, so we've recently told her that she won't be meeting him, that he has passed away. And she obviously doesn't understand, fully comprehend what that means. But yeah. I don't want her getting hope that it's an option. Yeah, yeah um, that's fair enough. And, yeah. you know, through tragedy, you know, a lot of the other families have wanted to connect and it's been an absolute joy getting to know all these children and uh, around the world and, and their families and, um, you know, we're really lucky. And, look, that's not for everyone um, in terms of connecting, but for us that's really special and we've made some beautiful friends and she'll have the option of spending time with them as she grows up and, yeah. and comprehends it a little bit more, but... Yeah, look, our ethos is that we're 100% transparent. We have a book with photos. Uh, we have the book with the report. We have a book with the information about its passing and um, and a lot more genetic information than most children would have. Um, and, uh, you know, she it's, it's just the reality of her world and uh, we just want to be really open about it. It's interesting, three and a half at kindy and being able to you know, talk to other kids about why you don't have a dad. So we're trying to give her the right language to to answer those questions that she's pretty proud that she's got two mums. Well, we've got all that ahead of us. I know. <laughs> and it sounds like she's got two amazing very amazing mums who adore her to bits and I can imagine her toy room is filled to, br- to the brim. Because <laughs> I, I think ours is going to be too. <laughs> you go through everything to get there. You're like, I will spoil this child rotten. Yeah, we we haven't had to buy too many toys, but she does get whatever she asks. We get a lot of hand-me-downs from all the cousins. Oh, that's good. And all the friends. And, and we're kind of like the last couple to have children in our friendship group. So there's a lot of clothes handed down and a lot of toys. I can't wait for um, that. I hope we get that. I feel like my sister said that to me the other day. Oh, yeah, She's she like, said bring an empty suitcase. Bring an empty suitcase to <laughs> Adelaide. We'll give you everything. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so what I, a wonderful way to um, look. They grow out of stuff so quickly, um, you know, Learn pretty quick that you know they last about a week and then they've grown out of it. So you don't want to spend too much noted. Money on that stuff, <laughs> yeah, won't be spending too much. They money vomit on all over clothes. it anyway, so there's no point trying to keep it all nice and all that. Just That's just right. go through it as you can. Hey, we actually um we put it out to Instagram today that we were going to be speaking to yourself, or we said we're speaking to someone who's been through 19 rounds, and we asked everybody to to send us a few questions. If you wouldn't mind, could we yeah, give, sure. give you a couple of questions? So yeah, um, one of the ones I, I'm really interested is um. Uh, what what were the did you read books and what what were the best books that you took out of your journey? Books, no, no. <laughs> I didn't have any time. No. Fair enough. No, no, no books. Um, I did the app, you know, the week by week app once we got pregnant, but I I didn't read anything. I think Lorraine read everything available um, and rang like every me. clinic and <laughs> researched every innovation around the world, but. Um, as much as I love to read a book on a holiday, it's my brain's just so tired at the end of the day that I leave that up to to Lorraine to, to sort out for me and give me the snippets. You mentioned the vulnerability. Was that Brene Brown? Was any of that Brene Brown? That yeah, I love Brene. Oh, same. Um, she's love my her. absolute idol. Yeah. Um, look, I, when I did this uh, meditation course at the Golden Door, um, there was a lot of talk about releasing vulnerabilities and um, you know, making you cry with embarrassment in front of perfect strangers. But um, 
I think there was a couple of podcasts at the time and we're talking five years ago, four or five years ago now. So um, I couldn't tell you what they were, but it was just really little snippets of, okay, yeah, I get that. Um, I need to just probably be a bit mindful of that. I think I saw a counsellor a few times as well that talked to me a little bit about vulnerability Mm. and I tried to just keep on top of my mental health through going to a counsellor and and making sure that, you know, I I had that in check. I I, um, I was part of the founding of the Gidget Foundation, which is all about um, perinatal mood disorders and anxiety and depression during pregnancy and after. So I was very conscious of mental health. And I think uh, I was probably informed more through the counsellor and more through the doctor on the pieces of information and what I needed to know at that particular time. That was all through, did you say the Gidget, the Gidget Foundation? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard about the Gidget Foundation. It's, um, it sounds incredible and something I definitely think people should get onto because I've got friends who've contacted the Gidget Foundation just for phone call conversations, just as like a listening ear and they, they are incredible from, from all reports. So. um, Great. We'll have to come to our 1500 lady luncheon that we have every year that's got cancer this year for COVID. Yeah, I was going to say. get the girls along and you can bring babies. Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah, 100%. (laughs) When COVID's gone and we can actually all get together again, I'm I'm down for that. Fee, do you want to look at some of the other questions that they came through? One of the questions is how do you pick yourself up after a transfer? I mean, I think you've kind of covered that a little bit earlier. Lay on the couch, watch (laughs) really trashy TV. Um, this is after a loss, after a period, which is just the worst time to have all those emotions. Mm. But I would drink red wine, I would watch uh, Netflix, and I would cry, and then I'd go, okay, let's just yeah. move on. That's very similar. Um, yep. Wine but was it was permission. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just permission to grieve. Like, yeah. Don't try and cover it up. And it's really hard when you find out that news at work and yeah. Um, all those things are, are challenging, but when you get home, just let it out. But like you said, it's kind of like you have to kind of then put a stopper on it and be like, pick yourself up and be ready get to just kind of yeah. face it again. Like it's just, I just, I just cannot believe like how many rounds you went through. Like just going through the couple I went through, just to, I'm just, you're so tough and so strong. Like, a, yeah, it's incredible. The other thing I was going to mention is just being really selective about the people that you surround yourself with as well. So during those times, you know, I wanted people that were optimistic. I didn't want someone that was like, oh, why don't you think about adoption? Yeah. Um, the solution throwers, which, you know, I understand come from a really good place, but you just want someone that just listens, that says, you know, cry, I'm here, and when you're ready to go again, yeah, let's go. Um, and I think that that's for anyone listening that is supporting someone through an IVF journey, then optimism is like the greatest part of the recipe, I think. I think for me, um, especially I had that with Hayley, like I was quite, quite pessimistic a lot of the time and Hayley was, you know, the one trying to... I just, yeah, I just full tried, of optimism all yeah. the time. I mean, it helps because I wasn't physically yeah. going through it, and I don't know if Lorraine, it maybe was the same, but I just was, you know, trying to stay positive because I could see Fee, you know, drifting into this like she just getting consumed by the the failure. So I was like, you got to stay positive, hun. Like let's let's just you know tackle this again. You know, yeah. let's just get. Yeah, Lorraine was probably more on the practical side of pouring me the wine. Telling me. <laughs> We'd handy, very handy as well. I think well. my mum did a good job of that as well. <laughs> yeah. She was like, let's get, let's Cry, break into get it dad's out. cellar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, the wine. Uh, the wine. Actually, it was. I think your our fertility specialist was like, get a bottle of wine. Yeah, when I got my, one of my my negative results, she's like, just go have a glass home and have a glass of wine. I said, yeah, I'm gonna wine. have a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> it's Definitely. just one of those and it's just, you feel horrible when you're drinking anyway because you haven't drunk for so long and you've still got all these hormones in you. But just that uh, that one glass that you know has yeah. been eyeing you for two weeks. Yeah, it takes the the edge off and just gives you a little bit of comfort. Yeah. Did um did you one of the other questions was did you do ICSI? Was that um ever something that you did throughout the process or was it just the IVF? No, I only ever did ICSI. Okay. Oh right, okay, that's interesting. Because yeah. we um I think we did one one of ours was just IVF where it's sort of left to them to decide if they're gonna match or not and then well, I think we but did yeah. ICSI. Then we did two ICSIs. Oh, I can't remember look either way, one of them. Yeah. Something yeah. worked. So every every viable egg was injected. And then they would leave it and they'd ring you 24 hours later and tell you how many of those worked. Yeah. 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 Um, your clinic, was it private or public? Private, but it's independent. Right, and I'm okay. I'm quite happy to share that that's Fertility First at Hurstville, oh, yeah. who I think are bloody awesome. Um, and one thing that is a real key differentiator is they're not owned by shareholders. So there's no financial incentive for putting women through more rounds. That's really oh, interesting. That's, um, that's good. Yeah, I did an article in a newspaper a few years ago about about why I chose that. But yeah. um, Anne Clark is is a pioneer, and um, she's an amazing woman that has probably uh, shaken up a few guys in the industry. But um, it's her it's her practice. Her husband's a gynecologist obstetrician that um, has also helped you know along the on, along the way when I had to have other procedures. But um, you know some of the bigger, more private. Um, with some of them are even publicly listed in their doctors. So uh, for me, that was a question of do I need that treatment or are you upselling me on yeah. certain tests? It's something things. I've never so, really thought about to think of. I mean, yeah. I definitely think about it's the business. Yeah, it's a it's, business. It's it a is, money-making industry, yeah. a huge one. Yeah. So I mean, it's definitely something that in the back of my mind, I'm like, are, the, are we literally just churning out, uh, you know, cycles here to, to make them some coin? But uh, I didn't even think to look into that, whether there was that mm. option out there, but that's mm. so very interesting. interesting. Like this whole conversation has been, it has been so <laughs> incredibly uh, wonderful and eye-opening and just, you know, bloody, yeah, hope, hope giving so much hope. hope. This every, I can't even <laughs> try to think of my dictionary. That's why I want to share my traumatic story, giving yeah. people hope. If you, you know that not right for you to give up then you know just listen to your intuition is just keep going my story yes yeah, keep going look if i had have gone to another clinic and done five day transfers i may not have done 19 but i got there in the end and i'm very happy with the outcome and yeah i uh, love my doctors and their amazing nurses um that supported me through so no regrets whatsoever amazing i love that well thank you so much for your time today you karen it you know, like I said, it's um, it's been a huge eye opener. It's given no doubt a lot of people out there listening to this episode a lot of hope, and uh, it's something you should be really incredibly proud of to have made it. Thank you, and, and to have a beautiful daughter. And uh, we wish you all the best for everything the future holds for you. And we you really, too. You've thank got you. such an exciting <laughs> journey ahead. We do exciting <laughs> and sleepless nights, no doubt. I think, but uh, no, we'll see. you'll enjoy them. It's different. Yeah, yeah I can't wait. Very can't excited wait. for the next yeah. steps. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much again for joining us on What the IVF. Thank you so much. Thanks, both. Good luck. 
Well, that was amazing. She is amazing. She's given – I haven't even started treatment. Obviously, we're going to do mine down the track, but she has given me so much hope and I can only imagine she's done the same for plenty of other women out there. It really does. It just it just shows, you know, if you are – if that's what you want and you keep going. And, look, I know, you know, that's a lot. It's a lot for a lot of people and not everyone wants to go down that yeah, path. But, no. you know. But that, that whole, you know – getting back into the boxing ring and just, you know, taking the punches and get picking yourself back up. And it was um, – I think that will really stick with me when, when I start trying. It's just, you know, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take me. So I'm going to sort of have that, you know, in the back of my mind going forward, I think. Really I feel like maybe I – when I was going through mine, maybe I needed to go away to a health retreat and listen to <laughs> Brene Brown, something I didn't try, dear. I love Brene Brown. I did tell you to read her book. She is amazing. Brene Brown is – yeah, if anyone out there hasn't read her I've stuff. listened to some of her TED Talks. Yeah, Incredible. I yeah. think she's incredible. Yeah. Anyway, another fantastic chat. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, before we go, definitely hit up Karen's uh, label. It's 1P Design. She's got a shop at the Stockland in, in Bargala and uh, her stuff looks really yeah, amazing. it's a new Australian label she's just started and it's, yeah. it's amazing, beautiful workwear and basics. basics. And stylish basics for the modern woman. It sounds Right up your alley, babe. We can pop a link on our yeah, we'll pop a link um, on Instagram our. too. But thank you so much for joining us for another incredible chat. We will be chatting to more women out there who are going on fertility journeys in the hopes that this podcast makes you feel a little bit less alone in your journey. And if you're not going on it, then you're just here for the ride and, and basically learning how bloody resilient women are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, guys. We'll chat to you next week. Thanks, guys. Bye.